Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be hearing this. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of Bible Bites, episode 334. And our reading today is in 1 Corinthians 5 through 8. And I am finally caught up <laughs> on our reading. Praise be to God. But I had a good reason. We were working on the Manger to Majesty project, which I just mentioned now. If you have not seen it, it is available through podcast channels and on our YouTube channel, Manger to Majesty. It's our um, original Christian audio drama. So I encourage you to check it out. It's a beautiful story as told of, of Jesus' life as told through Mary, his mother's perspective. So I encourage you to listen in to that as well. But today we're going to be reading in 1 Corinthians 5 through 8. And in chapter 5, Paul begins to address the issue of immorality in the church. Now this is, he's dealing with problems in the church here in this first book, to uh, first letter to the Corinthian church that he established. And we talked a little bit about that in the previous session. And so he starts now and he really hones in on the issue of immorality in the church. Now this is applicable today. And he talks about how there's sexual immorality happening among them, even such that wasn't even named among some of the, their Gentile um, friends or, or whatever. I want to read you verse 2, though, because this really struck me as I was reading it today. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done the deed might be taken away from among you. God is serious about sin. And we should be. And sometimes we live in a culture where we can become callous to the sins around us. And there's so much of it that sometimes it doesn't grieve our hearts like it should. And I confess that too. We're all prone to that, that we become kind of callous to the things that are not right in our society. How many babies have been murdered in our land, for instance, through abortion? And sometimes we don't grieve over those things the way that we should. And so in this particular instance, Paul is addressing people that were living in lives of immorality and were not grieved by it. And the church was not grieved by it. And so he's saying, you know, rather than be puffed up, we should mourn because it breaks the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God when those things are going on. So he's going to lay out in some of these chapters here in Corinthians exactly what is right and wrong in terms of sexual morality and sexual immorality. And he begins to get into that. In verse 5, he talks here about how... Um, he, he says that we should, he's telling them, you know, to even uh, consider this person um, being delivered over to Satan. He says, for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, that's a hard verse, and it's, it's hard to understand to some degree. But I think what he's saying here is not that we would wish this person condemned to hell, but rather that... Um, that the person would be able to 
suffer something that would bring through that discipline would draw them to God because even if the flesh is destroyed, there is an eternal soul. And Paul is after the eternal soul of the person. And so what he's saying is that, you know, yes, we don't want, we don't wish anyone evil. I don't believe he's saying that. But, um, but rather he's saying that um, we need to, you know, we need to understand that eternity is a very long time. I mean, it's, it's forever. And the soul is what's most important of all. Of all. And if, if through a discipline and a suffering, God can lead someone to Jesus, overall, Paul is saying that that's even more important to him. So I believe that's more in line with what he's saying. He is not harmful to people. He's not saying he wants anybody condemned. But he is choosing, rather, to look at the eternal um, long, long-term element here in that the person needs to get right with God. And that's what his heart is beating for, is that the person would be right with God and repent of such sins. So he goes into the next section, verse 6 through 8, and he speaks about unleavened bread. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is what he's kind of using as his backdrop here. So he talks about being leavened versus unleavened. Now, leaven in the scripture typically refers to sin, some kind of sin. In these passages, he's primarily dealing with immor immorality and that sin. But it could be any type of sin. And so Paul is saying, cleanse out the sin. Because any form of sin that's allowed in the church will spread to others in the church. And so he's saying, as a church, you need to cleanse it out of you. We've got to remove things. There are people that, that you can't have around you if they are influencing other people to lead them into sin. And that's what Paul is addressing here, is how a little leaven will spread through the whole lump, and it will um, make, it an un, uh, make it a leavened lump and impure before the Lord. So in a sense, he's using the backdrop of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He even speaks about it. Because he says, indeed, Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of the Passover season, not with the old leaven, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth so that we're clean before the Lord and, and the whole body is clean again. That's what he's talking about here. Now, Verses 9 through 13 is one of the places where he mentions a prior epistle that he wrote that's not recorded in Scripture. But he does give us indications of some of what was told to him there and the problems that he sees. So he's telling them in this passage, don't associate with people that are involved in this kind of living um, willfully that are not people that are struggling and they can't seem to overcome it, even though they honestly are trying to. He's talking about people that willfully, knowingly are living lives of sin. Don't associate with them. He tells them, he says, don't condemn or judge them, but we must avoid them. The reason is because of their influence, because they will lead other people astray. And for the sake of the spiritual health of the body, Paul is saying you must avoid them. 
And he's trying to teach this principle. The Lord showed me several years ago in a situation that I was struggling with and dealing with. And I was questioning, well, why am I having so much trouble with this particular issue? And it wasn't a major thing, but it was it was something that was kind of interfering with my relationship with the Lord. And and the Lord showed me, he said, Kay, who are you feeding? And I had to realize that whoever we feed is going to be the stronger man. This was in reference to some music I was listening to. And it wasn't Christian or godly music. Now, I'm under no condemnation about whether I hear a song that's not a godly or Christian song. But at the time, I was giving it a place in my life I didn't need to be giving that. And so God helped me to realize that whoever you feed will be the stronger person in your life. So you can feed the flesh or you can feed the spirit. And whichever way you choose to to go is how it will manifest in your life. So from that point forward, I determined then to listen as a whole to Christian music only and to things that would feed into my spirit, not into my fleshly, um, fleshly person and fleshly nature. And so we just have to be aware that there are things that influence us and whoever we choose to listen to and whoever we choose to feed the the spirit man or the the flesh or the flesh will be the stronger one in our life and that's what Paul is addressing here in chapter 6 he deals with Christians who are involved in lawsuits suing one another and even in in reference to them going Christians taking on other Christians in lawsuits before worldly courts. And he reminds them and he talks to them about how this is not good. He calls in verse 7, he says, basically, now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Now, He's not saying here that we can take advantage of one another and not have to try to pay a price to make it right. That's not what he's saying here. But he is saying that try to settle things with Christians among Christians and maybe even within the church and church disciplinary actions. Those might be appropriate. But if things cannot be resolved, think about it in light of eternity. What's most important? It's most important that you just entrust the matter to God. There are times when you can't resolve with somebody, perhaps, or maybe someone's mistreated you or done you wrong, and they will not repay. They're, they're not going to. And Paul is saying, let it go, give it over to God, and then you suffer wrong because, believe me, believe me, God has proven himself faithfully many times over, even in my own life. He will reward you in other ways. He will overcome that in other ways. He can give you back whatever you were cheated from in some other form or through some other person and make it right on your behalf. So let it go and let God deal with it. That's what he's trying to say here. And so then he goes on and he says in verse 11, I wanted to read this to you as well. He says, he's talking about all of these people. He says, now, this is a list of all the people. They will not be in heaven, period, not going to happen. And he lists a lot of people. This is not the really bad ones we would think of. 
uh, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on. Praise be to God, he says, verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Oh, praise God that the way we were before is not who we are today. The way we were before is washed uh, under the blood of Jesus, washed away, and we are new creatures in Christ. And we've been washed by the blood of Jesus. Praise God. And he goes on down and he says in verse 18, talking about sexual immoralities again, he's still in that topic. He's still dealing with this matter. And he says very clearly, flee sexual immorality, period. It's very clear there, very clear and very firm. And he's telling us, flee it in any form, in any way, flee it. And he goes on and he says in 19 and 20, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So our body, our responsibility to our bodies is to glorify the Lord with them, to glorify him in spirit and in our bodies, to give ourselves in purity and integrity to the Lord because he bought us and the price he paid was very, very high. He gave his own blood for us. Praise be to God. He speaks in chapter 7 primarily about sexual immorality um, before marriage and, and how it's important um, to, you know, in marriage, certain, certain things that are important. And even he deals with even areas of singleness, if you're single or if you're widowed, etc. And he talks a lot in here. Some of this he makes clear are commandments of the Lord. And some of this he makes clear are his own recommendations, let's say. But he believes that he has the Spirit of the Lord leading him in those things. So he addresses the whole issue of marriage versus being single. All of it, whether you're married or single, all of it boils down to this. Serve the Lord. Give yourselves wholly to him. Give yourselves over to him and seek to please him. And that's the basic thing that he's talking about here. He explains about sexual uh, morality within marriage, before marriage, um, sexual immorality to avoid. And he talks about the bonds of marriage, the covenant that's made. He talks about being single, perhaps even choosing to remain single and serve the Lord as a single individual, an adult, whether you're single or whether you're widowed, perhaps. So he covers a lot of material in that regard. But bottom line is serve God. Whether you're married or single, stay whichever way you are and serve the Lord in it. He also covers in here about how if you have an unbelieving spouse, one or the other, how they should try to stay together. You don't just divorce them because you're a believer now and they're not. But, but because you stay in that situation, if possible, 
if it's not a dangerous situation or whatever. Um, and then God can use that because you could perhaps lead that person to the Lord or you could cover them in special ways and through special blessings that they would not have without being connected and covenanted with you. So there is some some provision there and some addressing of that. Now, if the unbeliever departs, then you're free. But he's saying, basically, your job is to try to stay and pray for that person. And there's other places that speak of that in the scripture also. And we can look at those at a later time. Now, he goes on into chapter 8. And he deals in the first part of chapter 8 with um, dealing with people that were eating things offered to idols and the concerns that they had about that. And, um, and so he says this, verse 9, he's talking about this, and he says, you know, in essence, it, it goes back to something we were talking about in Romans when he was talking about eating versus not eating, what you drink, what you eat, what day you observe, etc. And there's some degree of Christian freedom in that. We talked a little bit about that. He says this in verse 9, and as we draw down to a close here, he says, But beware lest somehow this, this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will, the, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So in other words, Paul is saying here that the ultimate choice that in any situation is to, call, is to let love override it. Your love for the other person, you must sometimes choose to give up your own freedom to do something if it will offend someone else. Because how we treat other people, Jesus takes it personally. It's as if we're treating him that same way. So Paul even says, I'm going to give up my own desire rather than letting my liberty cause anyone else to stumble and be offended. Because love must be the major factor that's motivating us in everything. Praise be to God. I hope this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you today in Jesus' name.